When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Lamarie State the Bears, Stephen Means. Getting it up in the afternoon again. Uh, I thought this would be rants on Thursday, rants will be Friday. This is a s- discussion about Ohio State cornerbacks. We got to speak with nine players and two coaches on Thursday. That was safeties coach Perry Eliano, corners coach Tim Walton. We talked to uh, several safeties, and we talked to four corners. And we're going to do corners first here. We'll do safeties early next week. So that means we are talking about the four guys we believe, not I think are, the top four cornerbacks in that room right now. And that's Denzel Burke as a third-year starter. That's Jordan Hancock as a third-year guy in the program who just has not played much because he was battling injuries all of last year. That's Davison and Bignosen as a transfer from Old Miss, where he played a lot last year, second-year college player. And that's Jair Brown as a second-year guy who was forced into duty a decent amount last year and is learning from that. So let's start with Denzel Burke. And let's start with the continued evolution of this guy. I think we are sort of curious about two things with Denzel Burke health and like where his head's at so nathan where's his head where's it where's his body how's he doing well yeah he ran down like a whole list of all the things that were wrong with him last year we obviously knew the hand we knew the shoulder that was coming off of the year i think he mentioned ankle in there i think he mentioned fingers in there which somehow was separate from the hand issue and just a guy who uh had all the momentum in the world coming out of last season and then the injuries hit in preseason camp, and it seemed to just keep him sort of discombobulated all season. And I, I did not feel like we were watching the same player. And only until only late in the season did we start to feel like I thought he settled back into something closer to the form that he had shown as a freshman or shown that he should be heading towards going into his second year. But I thought he played pretty well against Georgia. I thought that was sort of the story of his season, that there was it was just some really out-of-character play from him early, looking a little bit lost on the field to the point where you knew something was really off. But then by the time he got on the field against Georgia, I thought you started to see him uh, much more closely approximate what he's supposed to be. 
So then now, how do you carry forward off of that? How do you build through this winter and spring off of that and try to maintain that momentum now into the season? Are we going to have to create, we like having, uh, not awards, but we- The J.K. Dobbins Award. Oh, maybe that's it. Like we create boxes for guys. Everybody knows what the Marshawn Lattimore thing is by now, right? Two years lost to injuries. You come out, you're basically an All-American in year three. How, How would we describe- might be J.K. Dobbins. Is it like you you bust out as a true freshman, sophomore year gets sideways, and then you come back and kill it as a junior, Stephen? Is that it? Yeah, I think that's the J.K. Dobbins award. They all have because I love how they're all like converting around what you do in that third year. But so far, candidates are Denzel Burke and Travion Henderson. The, the J.K. Dobbins award, where you show it, and then for whatever the reason is, you lose it, and then you get it back, and you're the best possible version of yourself potential all-American level self, and then you're also the NFL. So how how much, Stephen, should we expect that like this will fit Denzel Burke? Like We know what J.K. Dobbins did in his junior year. Ran for 2,000 yeah. yards, was a workhorse back, dynamic, tough, really valuable to a really good Ohio State team. What is that? Is that actually what we're talking about with Denzel Burke? I'm on alert for it um, because the way he talked – it very much suggested that I wasn't good last year because my body was hurt and I was too busy focusing on these aching parts of my body than I was on playing the right type of football. And it didn't allow me to take the step I wanted to take. And I don't have to worry about that anymore. And now he he used the word foundation. His foundation was off a lot of the times because you're busy worried about injuries. If you're not worried about injuries, you can get back to your foundation Maybe you take that next step that you should have taken last year, but you take it now. And maybe it's even bigger now because also you've been in this this same system for two years. So, Nathan, did you get the sense that what did last season do to Denzel Burke? Is he humbled? Is he mad? Does he feel like the haters were out to get him? Does he think it was great for him to have to deal with adversity? Like what's, what's the mood? Cause I, like, again, if we're going to try to put this in a JK Dobbins box, JK Dobbins going into that junior year in 2019, there was a lot of discussion from, I think both JK Dobbins and Tony Alford around. Yeah. Last year, my head was, I was trying to hit home runs. I wasn't taking what was there. I was trying to live up to what I did as a freshman. I got inside my own head. Like they very were, I think we're very forthright with that was jacked up. And we know exactly what has to happen for, for us to get better at this. And the injury component makes it a little bit different. But like, where, where do you think Denzel Burke is psychologically after having a year like that? Well, but I, I think the injury component is an important part of it. And that's where the him and Trayvon Henderson both differed from the, the J.K. Dobbins situation, which really was more just a, a guy who... Um, just lost it, uh, got got thinking about the wrong things at the wrong time. And for, for so for Burke, just from listening to him a little bit today, it's I don't think it's like a me against the world kind of thing. But because of the injury, I think, you know, they know um, and we've we've talked about his, his injury situation, but it wasn't apparent at the time. At the time, all that criticism was coming down on him for looking again, like I said, just kind of lost at times on the field. And and people wondering like what was wrong with him. I think he wanted to probably be able to say to them, "Well, I'm hurt in these various ways," and didn't have that opportunity. So I, I think that is is part of it that that he knows um, that he hasn't been able to fully show 
um, w w was maybe deprived of being able to, to have the year that he wanted to have, that everyone expected him to have, they expected to have for himself. Uh, I'm thinking back, though, to um, you know Cam Brown talking at the Combine about just what he had been hearing behind the scenes out of Ohio State coaches and that there was a, a different mindset here because that the way that that season finished, I think, gave, Dev, gave Denzel Burke some indication of, of where he should have been, where he can be, where he's going. So let's 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 reevaluate. Let's let's reestablish some baselines of what Ohio State's cornerback play was a year ago. Just to remind ourselves. So Denzel Burke as a true freshman in 2021, he played 734 snaps. That was the most on the defense. As a true freshman, he played more than anybody. That's crazy. It's like, hey, hey, Minnesota, that's a weird, oh, we're at Minnesota to start the game. What's the, what's, what's the, I can't even remember the guy's name. Not Eli Ricks. Who was the guy, who was the guy Ryan that Watt. Ohio State had that you were like, what? No, not Ryan Watts, the other guy. The guy who had the group of seven banks. Oh, seven, oh, seven banks, yeah, yeah. How do you forget the name seven top banks? <laughs> top three answers on the board. Name that unsuccessful Ohio State cornerback. And we just, well, bang, we were buzzing in, Seven yeah. Banks. Seven Banks is like walking around on the field against Minnesota. And we're like, is he going to play? And there's like, Denzel Burke's going to start. It's like, okay, well, I guess we're going to do this now. Denzel Burke plays the most snaps of anybody. 734. Last year, he plays 585 snaps. So that's still a lot. But it's fewer because he's dealing with injury. His PFF grade, just a guide, just a guide, just a guide. 68.8 as a true freshman. 67.9 last year. So similar, but it just felt different. I think expectations were factored into that. Perceptions factored into that. You know, there's a lot of things that go into that. So that's the that's the number one corner plays 585 snaps. The number two corner for Ohio State last year in snaps is the guy who started the year as the fourth corner. It's J.K. Johnson. He plays 407 snaps, which is a lot. His PFF grade is 58.8, which is not good. And he's not here anymore. So the guy who was second in snaps is not here. Third in snaps is Cam Brown. He plays 317. That's like practically half as many as Denzel Burke. That's the guy you expect to be your number two corner. He's battling injuries all year as he did for most of his career. 317. Fourth in snaps is Jair Brown. True freshman. They're like, hey, can you do this? Jair Brown, 195 snaps. His PFF uh, grade is 69.1. Cam Brown's was 67.5. So Denzel Burke, Cam Brown, and Jair Brown, as a true freshman, they all have basically the same PFF grade. And then fifth in cornerback snaps for Ohio State is Jordan Hancock, who we waited for all year. 103 snaps. PFF grade, 44.5. That's not good. Meanwhile, at Ole Miss, Davis and Nick Bignosin, 565 snaps as a freshman. That's 20 fewer snaps than Denzel Burke played. So that's so he's here now. So you're at his PFF grade was 66. So so his PFF grade and number of snaps is very similar to Denzel Burke. So Ohio State trades out J.K. Johnson for Davison and Bignosin, who plays more and by the PFF grade plays better. So that is just we knew that Nathan, but even. 
J.K. Johnson played 400 snaps with a PFF grade under 60. That's tells like that matches what our eyeballs saw, which was like sometimes the corner play left something to be desired a year ago. And the number of snaps for who you thought compared to who you thought was going to play tells tells you why. Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about we. It's interesting coming off of this pod we just did about depth because we talked about depth as related to the cornerback room last year, too and how only having six scholarship players, all that stuff. But it really wasn't that there were only six. It was that the six just didn't play that well, even when they played. Um, well, now, some of that was injury-related. But, you know, when you had someone like J.K. Johnson in his second year who played all those snaps but maybe didn't really elevate the level of play in that room, and then you even had when Denzel Burke could play, when Cam Brown could play in big chunks of the season, the performance didn't follow. and that so it's got to be both. I mean, they, they, they retain a lot of those guys push through to another year, but bringing in Davis and Igbenosin, uh, someone with his background, with his level of experience and his physicality, we'll get into him more. I know, but like they needed to just ramp up the level of talent in that room that, because even with someone like Denzel Burke, and maybe it's the other way that he doesn't, I know he was a freshman, all American, whatever, as a, as a freshman, but like just that PFF score, doesn't really compare probably to what J.K. Dobbins did as a true freshman. Like, I feel like the actual impact was bigger on the game. Burke was really important because they needed that position so badly. They had so many other problems and needed someone to step up. But I don't think that level of play, I, we still haven't seen that level of play yet from Denzel Burke. It's still a thing that's kind of on the horizon. And so the other thing here, at the end, the numbers match what we've talked about with Denzel Burke, which is he got better in the second half. So when you look at the PFF grades, four of the first five games he played, his coverage grade in those individual games was under 60. Notre Dame, 54. Arkansas State, 59. Toledo, 72. Rutgers, 55. Michigan State, 55. And that's like the, hey, like, what's up with Denzel Burke? He doesn't seem like he's playing as well as he played as a true freshman. And then he has like the surgical procedure, right? You get Mm -hmm. a little sense of like, okay, like maybe he's going to be a little bit healthier. Now the second half of the year, Iowa coverage grade, 71, Penn State, 72, Northwestern, 54. It's blowing. It's a hurricane. Maryland, 62, Michigan, 74, Georgia, 69. So I do think, Stephen, as we think about this, I like Denzel Burke competing for the J.K. Dobbins Award. It's almost like he had two seasons last year. And so he is coming back from, hey, as a sophomore, maybe it didn't go as well as it went freshman year for you. But also, second half of sophomore year was a whole lot better than first half of sophomore year. And you had something fixed in between. So, like, kind of figured it out. It does feel like he should be on an upswing here because he's building off the way last season ended. If he can be physical, he'll be fine because – we talk about the PFF grade from his freshman year to sophomore year, how it dropped down a little bit. Where you really see that take off is, you know, his run defense grade going from 71.8 to 54.5. The tackling grade going from 76.1 to 53.6, which to the point of it's the how many times last year did we say, yeah, I mean, you didn't really make a play on the ball, but then when the player caught the ball, you kind of just moved out the way and let him score a touchdown. You weren't, you know, trying to bring a guy down 
after he caught the ball either. The pass rush grade for what that means for cornerbacks, 70.4 as a freshman and then the 47.8 as a sophomore where, I mean, the first time play he the first snap of his season last year was them sending him on a blitz that ends up with a 54 yard you know completion for Notre Dame that game the coverage did get better as he got healthier his coverage grade was actually better this past season than it was as a freshman from 66.8 to 70.6 but it's the overall of it is the physicalness that he needs to play with the ability to get guys down the ability to make a play on the ball all that stuff you can't do when you're thinking about your four or five different injuries that you suffered so it Maybe it is just as simple as I my body doesn't hurt, so I'm back to who I'm supposed to be, which is why I'm having a great a spring so far. Nathan, any other Denzel Burke vibes or words from what he said on Thursday? Not from what he said, but but um, yeah, Stephen, I think was at his table more than I was. I just think it's worth pointing out again that it's not just you know all the things we've been hearing from other coaches leading into today, other players leading into today are what have maybe had my antenna up on Denzel Burke that it's, it's, you know, we already knew, I mean, he's coming back. He's got all this experience, even with Davis and Igbenosin coming in. I've always assumed Denzel Burke will be starting on September 2nd, but I think what all these people are saying about him and what that could mean, what he could be this year, as opposed to the past two years is I, I think starting to get intriguing. And I, I did, did, uh, Steven, did he talk about any physical changes for him? Cause he's just looked different to me on the field too in practice so far no he, no he didn't uh um, nothing like really stood out from that as far as like physically changing his body no I just think he's he was a physical player and as a freshman and he's gotten back to that a little bit but not he didn't really get into depth any further with that stuff no all right Denzel Burke I think I think uh, you don't want to put too many expectations on guys but to me my general view of the corners is can Denzel Burke have an all big 10 kind of season? And then is there some kind of competition with Jordan Hancock and Davis and Igbignosin to be a good number two corner? And then the other, the third guy gives you good depth when you need it guard against injury, maybe rotate a little bit. If you, if you say that you wind up with a little bit of rotation with Hancock and Igbignosin, that, I don't think that would seem outrageous to me, but that Denzel Burke, who as a freshman led the defense in snaps, can we set that? I think is Denzel Burke going to lead this defense in snaps in 2023? That certainly seems Stephen like that would be on the table. Just with they do like to rotate on the defensive line, you know, maybe maybe it'll be Tommy Eichenberg. I don't know, but like I just think Denzel Burke's going to be out there basically every snap that matters all season. Yeah, I think that. That's on the table. That might depend on where Hancock and Igmanosin are by the fall camp because I could see it being that's Denzel's spot and then there's a rotation on the other side with Jordan Hancock and Davis and Igmanosin. But I can also just see all three of those guys just kind of playing equal snaps where it's rotating three guys to two spots. But I would, I'd be surprised. Like Denzel Burke, I think, is somewhat significantly more established than those other two guys, right? Yeah, that's the, the, well, yes. If you had to go off of experience playing college football, quite frankly, it'd probably Denzel Burke first, David, Davidson Igmanosin second, and then Jair Brown has actually played more college football than Jordan Hancock has the last two years he's been here. So he'd probably be fourth on that hierarchy. So, but it, it, like I said, it's from a experience standpoint, he's the, he's the seniority in the room. But if it feels like you've got three guys who are, 
if if Tim Walton gets to a spot where by September 2nd, he feels like he's got three guys he has 100% equal level trust in, I wouldn't pull, rule that out. Three guys through two spots. But also, yes, Denzel Burke just stays on the field and the other two rotate is also on the table. And now we're just having the uh, the Doug LaMaurice, Kerry Combs yeah. yelling about yeah. cornerback rotation fight all over again. When in 2016, after I said to Kerry Combs, you all guys always talk about rotating, but then you never actually do it. And he was like, we're going to do it. Uh, Garyon Conley, 599 snaps at corner in 2016. Marshawn Lattimore, 598. Denzel Ward, 447. That's three guys through two I could spots. see that. So I, I would be surprised if Ward's not kind of significantly number one. Burke. But yeah. Well, who'd I say Denzel Ward? You said Ward. You said Ward. Maybe, maybe that's where they got – because there is a little bit of a, a, a separation between where Conley was and where uh, Denzel Ward was that year. So maybe yeah. instead of the, and maybe instead of the gap being two and three, it's still one and two, but it's still all around the same thing. But you get to the end of the year, Denzel Burks played 110 more snaps than those two guys have. Rather I, I than also would the say other way around. Denzel Burke, Denzel Burke, I am talking about, not Denzel Ward. Denzel Burke, I right, Nathan. Denzel Burke, good year, goes to the league. Jordan Hancock and Davison Igbignosin. Davison Igbignosin can't. Jordan Hancock yeah. could, but Jordan Hancock's barely played so far. So, like, in that year, Lattimore and Conley were done. Ward was back for one more year. So not that, you know, that's a the number one thing in the hierarchy, but I, I, I do think maybe that's like, listen, man, this guy's good. This is his – he's a three-year starter at Ohio state, he's not leaving the field. And then everybody else does whatever they want to do because he's putting a cherry on top of even with the blip last, the first half of last year has been a, a very, very good Ohio state career. And then he's gone. We don't see a lot of four year starters at Ohio state, which is like Billy price leads Ohio state in all time snaps or whatever it is games because he was one of those rare exceptions. So um, I think this is Denzel Burke's, position and then everybody else can slot in but like that guy's gonna do his thing yeah i mean hancock is the epitome of the hooker Lattimore watch list that we do every year yeah where you Mm -hmm. really are kind of out of it completely for two years for whatever reason you know you don't play that much as a true freshman as a lot of people don't then there's usually an injury component or something weird like that and then third year you're like holy crap and i could see that happening for him i could see him having some kind of a, a huge breakout he is running with the ones this spring so we'll see what that means. But that's also usually not surprising that a holdover guy would be running with the ones over a guy who's only been here for a couple months in Igbenos. And we'll see what happens between now and September 2nd. Can I just throw a little point of information, by the way, when we were just talking about PFF grades? Just a guide, just a guide, just a guide, just a guide. Last year, Davison Igbenos in 66, Denzel Burke 67.9, uh, Cam Brown 67.5, right? It's like guys who played... I'm just looking at the 2016 stats because I have them up. Marshawn Lattimore, 90. It's a 90. But, it's like, oh, what does it look like? What's the, It's a 90. A 9-0. That's what you call a top 10 pick. Gary on Conley, 85.3. And uh, Denzel Ward, 74.6. And then let's just look to see what Denzel Ward did the next year. I'm just curious. What did Denzel Ward? Denzel Ward the next year, 90.8. This like, is what does that so look is, 
Uh, this is what I was that. saying. This is what so I was just, saying oh, before that it's 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 uh, like Denzel Burke is a has been a solid football player for two years. I have not seen Denzel Burke the great football player yet. I, I consistently like it just hasn't happened. Like I don't know what people are looking at. But also, you're talking about what they were in all three of those situations. That's third year because Jeff Okuda is above 92. His right. third year, if I believe, which we're talking about the first round corners here. So to your point of Denzel Burke might leave after the season. I understand he's a three-year starter, but unless he's popping, I understand just a guy, just a guy, just a guy. But the first-round corners at Ohio State have 90 PFF grades. So if he's going to be right. in, if, he, if he's going to be and, in that realm, he needs to be like at least 88. And I'm not saying well, I don't I just, see it in. I don't see it in Denzel Burke. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, reminding people that we need to talk about what's I think ahead of him in greatness in terms of what we've already seen. Jeff Okuda actually eighty two point eight, which is like okay. but still, and then and then uh, also Damon Arnett seventy four point one. Mike Mayock was like, I don't care, I just think yeah, he's a baller. <laughs> okay, right. He doesn't count in this conversation that's at why, all. That's why he's back in the media. Uh, okay, so let's get into Davison Igbignosen, and we'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. So we don't want you to read too much into stuff. It's like, oh, why don't they talk about Jordan Hancock more in that podcast? We, just didn't, we weren't at his table as much. Four tables, three people. Do the math. It's a little bit of like five power five conferences, four playoff spots. So mm-hmm. we're leaning a little bit because we raced back. We raced. We're, we're squeezing this in. We got meetings. We just got back. I ate a pack of crackers. So we're talking about the guys that we talked to the most. And Steven, you were with... Old Miss transfer Davis and Igbignosen for a while. And by the way, we're super interested in that guy because we don't know much about him yet. What's the vibe? He wants to be Jeff Okuda. He looks at Jeff Okuda, like in, and not just, yes, as good as Jeff Okuda, but also that's the last time we had a corner here who looked like him a bigger corner, length, physicality at the line of scrimmage, great tackler, good tech sound technique and coverage even if he's not the fastest corner we haven't had that since jeff and so that's a guy that he he's really trying to model his game after he's a guy from northeast ohio uh, not northeast ohio the northeast of america from new jersey and ended up at old miss he felt like he was under recruited for uh, whatever the reasons are because he had no relationship with ohio state coming out of high school you know he was a top 150 recruit but he had no relationship with them but a lot of that was because ohio state locked in on its corners a lot earlier than he maybe came along in that recruiting process spent the year at old miss decided to go into the portal and he told a really interesting story of how he even got the contact with ohio state he was back at his high school in new jersey union high school lifting and a boston phone number pops up on his cell phone and he's like I don't know anybody from Boston like, who is possibly calling me from Boston. And it's Ryan Day. And from that moment on, he's pretty much known exactly where he wanted to be. He wanted to be at Ohio State. And he used the term – I mean, we wrote a whole long package about Ohio State being king of the north. He kind of put a really good stamp on that and calling Ohio State the best team in the north over the past decade or so. And to wrap this long soliloquy up here – he thought Ohio State should have won the national championship last year. And the reason they didn't came down to a couple of plays, which I think we have talked about what those plays are at this point. And what was missing in those plays was a cornerback like him who had the physicality to match up in some of those positions and eliminate those plays. And 
if you have that guy, those plays don't happen and Ohio State wins the national championship. So it's the Jeff Okuda effect. It's the this is a guy from the north who loved Ohio State as a kid and Ryan Day getting into contact with him, but also he sees exactly how he fits in and what was missing and he can add the exact thing Ohio State was missing from last year's defense. So when we were talking about this before and Stephen was conveying the story of the Boston phone number popping up, I was trying to do a Ryan Day Boston accent of like, uh, and then uh, Nathan said it sounded Australian. So I'm not going to do it here. I am trying to work on, I was kind of doing it in the car to myself of my Jerry Emig. Ohio State Sports Information Director, Minnesota accent impersonation, and my Ryan Day, because in my head, I've decided that I think Ryan Day drops into an incredible New England accent whenever he's alone in his office, and them having a conversation of like, oh, geez, and like, you know, pack the cat, and so I'm not ready there. So, but I love the idea. Stephen, there's part of me that wanted you to be like, a Boston phone number popped up, and Davis and Igmanosin answered, and it was Jason Tatum. (laughs) <laughs> and then it was like, hey, cool. Why is Jason Tatum? And then he decided to go to Ohio State. Like, it's just a non sequitur of like, it was uh, Bill Belichick just saying, hey. But actually, it makes sense that it was Ryan Day. So Tim Walton, the cornerbacks coach, did get asked about this. It's like, what? What? You look in the portal. Why you go after this guy? Toughness, length, competitiveness. I think he said height at the top of the route, which is like, hey, ball's in the air. You're playing big. You can, you know, catch point, that kind of thing. He feels like a guy, Nathan, that you'd go get in the portal. So it is one of these things, and it's like, hey, why didn't Ohio State recruit him before? There was just a whole thing here. Ohio State's been enough in New Jersey that I think maybe if we had been in like the heyday of Kerry Combs, cornerback recruiter, maybe they're on this before, but they got trapped in a little bit of a thing for a little while there, right? Or I'll say this real quick. Or if Jeff Halfley was still the coach here because he's got the end. Yeah out in that area but and he had already pulled like they, cody simon in new out of jersey. there they're in there they've but been it, in new jersey they've they've yeah like they know they know they're not unfamiliar it's not like the guys from maine or yeah. kansas and it's like i don't know they just don't ever recruit there so but nathan when you hear like the way tim walton talked about him this feels like the kind of thing where you see the guy's film you see the production that he got on the field early and that this, I mean, I like, I don't know. I can't help it. This part of me like feels bad for Ole Miss. It's like, Hey, congrats on winning that recruit and then playing him right away. And then he's like, cool. I'm good enough to go to Ohio state now. And it's like, I guess that's how the portal works. But when you hear Tim Walton talk about it, it's like, yep. I don't think we have any illusions about why is this guy here? It's like, no, we know exactly why this guy is here. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember, I talked to the the coach at Union, Lou Grosso, right after Igmanosin committed to Ohio State a couple months ago. And I'm trying to remember exactly what he said about why he thought he was maybe a little bit under-recruited. He was a he was like a two-way player in high school. I think there might have been some teams that didn't necessarily know if he was a corner because of his size. But it, it's interesting, you know, one of the reasons we got to where we are with Ohio State's secondary the last couple of years is because a defensive coordinator left in Jeff Halfley, and so did the prospect that would have solved a lot of problems in Clark Phillips. And now they've brought in two guys this offseason, and Davis and Igmanosin and Jihad Carter, who left where they were because the defensive coordinator left for other jobs. 
um, or was on their was on his way out. And that kind of opened the door for why those guys went in the portal and why Ohio State was able to go grab them. So it's kind of like coming around full circle. It's just a little bit belated for Ohio State because they, they still had to pay the price these last couple of years. And looking at Igbenosin's uh, 247 profile, like he wasn't even a top. 200 recruit in that 2022 class until the turn of the calendar year in January. He spent a lot of that time in the mid 400s, mid 500s. So under recruiting, this is, it wasn't just a oh, Ohio State did him. Old Miss was probably his best offer. His, the other schools who were really in the mix for him were Duke, Kentucky, Pittsburgh, and t- Tennessee. So it's not like him ending up in the SEC was a bit applaudable, but it, it's not like, Alabama and Georgia and USC and Texas and those types of schools were on him and Ohio State just wasn't. You know what actually is a little bit weird about this? As I attempt to learn about the current Ohio State football player live on a podcast, because I should have probably learned before. Google machines, man. Huh, man, Google machines make everybody smart. So I'm I'm reading about when Davis and Igmanosin commits to Old Miss at the uh the All American Bowl. Mm-hmm. And he he's a had been formerly committed to Rutgers at some point. And he has a quote mm-hmm. that says, it was back and forth. I felt like if I went to Rutgers, I could have regretted that chance of not going to the SEC. So, okay, could have gone to Rutgers. But Chris Partridge is the guy right. who recruited right. him to yep. Old Miss. And Chris Partridge yeah. leaves. Chris Partridge is a Michigan guy. Chris Partridge well, came from the high school scene in New Jersey, yes. went to Michigan, went mm-hmm. to Old Miss, and now is back at Michigan as a linebackers coach. Yep. And he did not follow Chris yep. Partridge to Michigan. That Ohio State, that's a very easy, hey, the guy I want to play, hey, I can play Big Ten football now, big time Big Ten football in the north. Oh, the guy who recruited me is going to Michigan. Let's do that. This is actually kind of a nice little how it worked out that mm-hmm. Ohio State got him. But I, I do think it's one of those where probably in the portal, right? Maybe even more so when you're getting recruited in high school, like they have all kinds of film they can watch and they have all kinds of time and they can spend years on you in the portal. You want to stand out. So when Tim Walt was asked like, Hey, have you coached a corner like this before this long? He's like, yeah, in the NFL. But when they, when a six, two corner goes in the portal and it's like, Oh, well there's not 40 power five, six, two corners in the portal. It makes sense. But maybe Ohio state doesn't hesitate jumps right away on this. Is there anything else about Davis and Igmanosin, Stephen, that we need to know that we learned from this conversation with him on Thursday? No, I think that pretty much sums it up. But to build on the, you know, you could have just followed, you know, Partridge to Michigan, which is another, you know, Northern team who's made the playoffs the past two two years. Uh, I kind of asked him along those lines, not the, the Michigan thing, but just, when you go in the portal, you would it would seem like you'd be more willing to be open to schools that you already had relationships with and not someone that you had never even talked to before. And that wasn't even in his thought process. Because I remember Trey Sermon had a relationship with Tony Alford that made that transition a little bit easier. Quarterback is different with Justin Fields, but it, it you typically see – and you know Tanner McAllister followed his defensive coordinator over to Ohio State. Typically, somebody you have a relationship with, he didn't even put that into his thought process of conversation. It was just – he still has a reverence for Ohio State, and even with the two losses to Michigan, that Ohio State's still the best team in, in the in the North. And you know, he's seen the quarterbacks they produced, even if it's been a couple of years since they've done that. He was so you know headstrong about the Jeff Okuda Ohio State cornerbacks. This is the best program up north that I could possibly go to. That any of those other factors didn't really even matter. I also wonder, Igbignosen 
transferred to Ohio State like the last day of January, and Partridge left Old Miss for Michigan like the first week of February. Well, so, it was already in the it, works, I don't, though. It was already in the it works. Was in in the fact, works. Partridge, we, Partridge knew that. Was, yeah, Partridge is who had recruited him to Ole Miss. That's where yeah. the no, I know. connection was. So then why didn't he go to Michigan? I don't know, because he visited Michigan, too. Oh, he did visit Michigan as a, when he was yes. doing his transfer thing? Yes. Oh, interesting. Well, that's good for Ohio State. They got him. Okay. Davidson and Big Nosen, we're interested in him. Do you got like, again, we'll, we'll come back in a future podcast. And if it turns out that Jordan Hancock said awesome stuff that we just haven't had a chance to listen to yet, we'll talk about it. Do we think, Nathan, is your general approach that like it's on for Jordan Hancock and Davidson and Big Nosen competing? To start, or we when we have watched, it's been Burke and Hancock with the ones, Igbignosen and Jair Brown with the twos. We had a field day talking about dominate the twos. D- do you think Igbignosen can do that? Or given the way the coaches talked about Jordan Hancock a year ago, what Jordan Hancock showed in the offseason a year ago to show, to prove that he was ready to help Ohio State and then the injuries prevented him from doing that, do we have to assume? No, they love Hancock. As long as he's healthy, he's the guy. No, I mean, I don't necessarily assume that. I mean, Igbenosin, that year, it's only one year, but that's a lot of experience to get on the field that Jordan Hancock has just never been able to get. And it's valuable. It You you learn a lot of stuff. You, you become a lot more comfortable out there. So I take what I was seeing this spring partially to be, this guy is a holdover. This guy did do a lot of things. It wasn't his fault that he got hurt. And you just showed up. So if you're going to have to put one with the ones and one with the twos to start the spring, and we're only a third of the way through the spring, halfway, then that makes sense to me. I still definitely have my eye on what that ends up looking like for opening night and what that ends up looking like every week after that. I just feel like that's what Ohio State should want and need and is maybe getting now is a really tough decision as to who the third cornerback is. That should be um, because – you have three really good ones, so which one are you setting aside for the moment as opposed to you have three that are all very uncertain and you don't know what you're getting from them, which is what they've had at times the last few years. 134 combined defensive snaps for Jordan Hancock in his two seasons at Ohio mm-hmm. State. And again, Davis and Gnosen's up over 500 a year ago. So that's a factor, but as we see it right now, it's Burke and Hancock running with the woods. All right, we're going to come back and talk about Number four, I'm excited about number four. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. So there's a, a saying that we like to do in my family because my mom used to be a, ki- a kindergarten teacher and you know, like kindergartners are crazy. They just are constantly saying whatever. And so my mom just said this one time, but it's it's our example of like what we say when we want people to stay focused because my mom said this to a kindergarten one time. She said, we're not talking about motorcycles. We're talking about four. Because it was like, you know, they're learning numbers in kindergarten and a motorcycle goes by outside and the kid yells out, there's a motorcycle outside. And my mom's like having none of that. We're talking about four. We're talking about four, the number four corner for the Ohio State Buckeyes, who should be Jair Brown, who, as we said, was forced as a true freshman, not like Denzel Burke the year before, but 195 snaps. And I just will say, sometimes I just like a guy when they sit down. So I was at the Jair Brown table and he sat down and I thought, I like this guy. He is a handle your business. I'm confident without being cocky. Matter of fact, this is how we do it. Kind of dude. And Nathan, I had said it in a video. It's like, this is the, he's the perfect number four corner. 
because it's not like, oh my gosh, you got to get this guy in the field in year two. But also it feels like, okay, he's going to be ready to start by year three. But if you need him, he'll be ready because he played almost 200 snaps last year and held up pretty well. And he just has a sense of purpose about him. So I, I like this to me is good corner depth. He's the also the one person out of this group that doesn't really have high expectations that he has to live up to at this point. Like Denzel Burke comes out and does what he does as a true freshman, freshman All-American, etc. David Davison Igmanosa, when you started for a year in the SEC, you should be great when you get here, right? Like you should definitely have. And Jordan Hancock, you know, was a higher rated uh, prospect and had really started to kind of come along and the expectations were building for him. So Jair Brown's the one of the three who can sort of exceed expectations just by getting on the field last season, which he did. And, but he, he obviously was talked about, um, you know, uh, very warmly by, by Jim Knowles when he did get on the field last season. And I think it was always a good sign for, again, still what's to come. I feel like there's so many things this spring where we're talking about, like file this away for 2024, because this cornerback room could change as you already said, because of Denzel Burke for 2024, there could be a big opportunity there. And um, he's definitely, I think, on the radar of someone who that third, fourth year in the program, if he stays that long, could be a, a significant piece. One of my favorite things about our pod is that every year we have these moments where it's like, just wait till this year. Just wait till this year. I mean, we did it for the 2023 year for th- two and a half years, and now we're doing it for 24. But Denzel Burke said that Jair Brown has the most impressive pick of anybody this this spring. And it's been it was on, he said it was on a curl route or like an out route. The way he just jumped it was just the most impressive thing they've seen this year. Um, so I'll be on the lookout for that on Saturday to see if he has any more impressive picks. But I think I, I like the way you summed it up, Doug. He's a guy where it, there's no pressure for him to be the guy right now. But given how this cornerback room went last year, if there's a situation where for a week he has to be, nobody is – it doesn't feel like he'll be in over his head out there. And I like how it feels like they're trying to also play him in different spots to kind of find him a role. They're working him out at that, that nickel uh, corner spot as well. So it's, uh, he's, he, he isn't demanding to be on the field. No, but he also is doing just enough to where he's put it in the coaching staff's mind that maybe let's just think about it at least because we have six months to maybe think about what we want to do in certain spots. He was asked to play 52 snaps in the Wisconsin game last year in week four, and then played uh, 28 snaps in week 10, 34 snaps. This is all on defense in week 11. 169 snaps at outside corner, uh, seven at slot corner last year. So again, sometimes we talk about, coaches will say, it just depends on the situation. Sometimes you want a guy to be able to do multiple things. Sometimes you want a guy to be able to focus. Jair Brown, as we've seen when we saw the scrimmage on Saturday, he's a second team outside corner, and he was third team slot corner. But he said he did that in high school. He believes he has the skill set to be able to do that. When we talk about corners who could do that, which we have talked about here because Jim Knowles has talked about it and Ryan Day has talked about it. This is the example for now because they're not messing with Burke and Hancock and Igbignosin when it comes to this. But Jair Brown has a little bit of that versatility. And does that mean he's going to factor in a ton at that slot corner, slot safety role this year? No, I wouldn't think so. But I think you can put that on your radar for Jair Brown, probably starting in 2024. And let's see where it fits based on his skill set, the team's needs, who comes back at different positions, how the defense evolves. 
but I can't I can't state it enough. We could do a podcast on what does an ideal number four guy look like at a position? And really, he's a number two guy, but he's kind of not because it's like if something happened, Igbenosan would go in next on both sides. But this, it looks like this. Second year guy who's ready if you need him, but you're not quite freaking out. And then you just think year three is going to be really good. So I, I like where Jair, I like what he's shown. I like the way he talks about what he learned from a year ago. I like the fact that he held up last year when he was probably asked a little bit too much of him. And where he is now, versatility, confidence, smarts. I think Jair Brown is is the kind of guy you want uh, running with the twos at Ohio State right now. All right, we're going to end it there. We're just busy. We got a lot going on. This is the plan. Rants for Friday. We should have something a little different with a guest on, I think, Monday. And then early next week, we'll make sure we get to safeties where we talk what Perry Aliano said, Sonny Styles, Josh Proctor, Lathan Ransom, guys like that. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Try the text at 614-350-3315. And, of course, make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss the podcast for now. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.